Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. I'm conscious that uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, Chuck Phillips was preaching, this was his text as well. And we will look in Philippians 1 and uh, then we'll be in James for a few moments and then come back to this passage uh, as I uh, integrate the report on uh, what took place in uh, England. I cannot tell you how good it is to be back. And uh, gosh, for Mark to hire a brass band for our return is just, <laughs> just wonderful. Uh, now, what a, what a wonderful way to, uh, to return to our worship here. Yesterday morning, Connie and I were in Birmingham. It's not Birmingham, Birmingham, England. And uh, we returned, uh, we got back last evening after uh, starting about 4 a.m. Uh, uh, we got here last evening. Exactly one week later than we had planned to come back. Uh, we actually took the flight uh, seven days later that we would have uh, due to the volcano. I had planned, I thought, for everything, but I didn't plan for a volcano. Uh, one of the great comforts to us, along with our verse of the year, though, was that there was not one single piece of ash that was outside of God's control. And we knew that, so we knew that uh, we were where God wanted us, us to be. Uh, I will say this <clears throat> before you say, how was your vacation? <laughs> that uh, while we were in a wonderful place with, uh, uh, you know, if you're going to be stranded, England is uh, the place, and we were with friends, with the crosses, who took great care of us. Uh, it just didn't feel like a vacation uh, as uh, we were somewhat on pins and needles wondering when we would be able to return and our hearts were here. We knew we needed to be back, uh, but we also knew there wasn't anything that, uh, that we could do about it. And uh, so uh, it, was a, it was a good experience in that way. Let me read God's word to us from Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, begin, uh, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do thank you for the worship up to this moment. And as we continue 
to worship you by looking into your word and seeing how you are working in other parts of the world. We ask for uh, your spirit to preside, to move in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. England has a great Christian heritage, and uh, many of you may know of that. It is uh, possible that uh, uh, Christianity spread to England through the Romans. Uh, Some historians believe uh, that was the case. We know the Romans, uh, when they were in their years of glory, their empire went to England, and you can You can see remnants of that. You can see stones from the Roman road. You can see Roman walls still there in England. And some even speculate that uh, the uh, troops that were at the cross attending to the crucifixion were later sent to England and that that's possibly how it spread there. As some had professed their faith in Christ, and then God in His providence moved them to another part of the world that very much needed Christ. In fact, the first Christian martyr in England was a Roman soldier. Uh, In terms of the current spiritual temperature there, it's lots different than its great heritage that it has had in the past. Uh, Our very first trip there a number of years ago, uh, we got off the the plane and the tabloid, one of the newspapers, they have a lot of small newspapers they call tabloids, uh, one of them, the Daily Mail of uh, the day we landed, had this headline. I made a copy of it. I, I purchased the paper. It said, Never on Sunday. And what it says is, church may drop Sabbath day due to lack of interest. It's the Church of England it was talking about. Uh, They say that uh, uh, many in Britain now have minimal knowledge of the Christian faith. The Christian story is no longer at the heart of the nation. Although many people might identify themselves and Christians if pressed. Uh, But... During the 20th century, Sunday school attendance dropped from 55% to 4% of children. And that gives you some idea. Now, it's, what was interesting to me, in addition to the information uh, about that, and that being in a tabloid, is that, uh, and this is very secular, but there was a statement made uh, later by way of editorial in the same paper, and it said... Uh, uh, it was commenting on the Church of England, uh, possibly dropping it. The reason, nobody goes to church at the weekend. And here's their response from the newspaper editorially. Perhaps there's a simpler solution. Shouldn't the Church of England for once try offering strong moral guidance as though it believed in the Christian message? That's it in a nutshell, right there. That is the spiritual temperature. Here is a secular tabloid newspaper saying, you know, maybe if the church acted like it believed what it's supposed to believe, maybe people would then come to church. Seems like common sense. 
those who claim to be Christian attend church uh, some 11%. Now, that's, that's completely in all denominations that are uh, claimed to be Christian. Uh, liberalism is a major problem. They have everywhere, as you go in England, churches that are empty or have been turned into pubs uh, or something else or just sitting empty, and they call them redundant churches. If you are laid off from a job in England, they say that you are redundant. It's not a cruel term. It's just a statement. Uh, And so they call these redundant churches because there's no more use for them. Nobody was attending, so they close the doors. Uh, If you want to know, if you want to understand England, one of the the best books around probably is uh, Watching the English by Kate Fox. In fact, Wendy gave me this as she was reading the book. It says, uh, uh, this is about religion. We are not only indifferent, but worse, from the church's point of view, we are politely indifferent, tolerantly indifferent, benignly indifferent. We have no actual objection to God. If pushed, we might uh, accept that he might exist or that something might exist, and we might as well call it God if for only the sake of peace and quiet. God is all very well in his place, which is the church, When we are in his house at weddings and funerals, we make all the right polite noises as one does in people's houses, although we find the earnestness of it all faintly ridiculous and a bit uncomfortable. Otherwise, he impinges very little on our lives or our our thoughts. Other people are very welcome to worship him if they choose. It's a free country. But this is a private matter, and they should keep it to themselves and not bore or embarrass the rest of us by making an unnecessary fuss about it all. There's nothing the English hate more than a fuss. What we have seen is that if uh, you mention something even vaguely religious, the wall goes up, and you don't say anything more, risking offense. But that's just something that needs to be known about that country. There is a church uh, in one of the denominations that we work with over there in Hall. And the pastor wrote this in a recent letter. He said, if this were a business, it would be closed. We have a product that no one wants, but everyone needs. We are located in a city that has been named the most godless in England. Only one-tenth of one percent of its population go to church, any church. And of all the areas on this city of Hall... Uh, we are in the worst. High unemployment, poor living standards, poor education, high crime. In years past, we could have counted on there being a base knowledge of Christ and Christianity, but no more. There are generations of people now who have never crossed the door of a church. Mission to the World, has, uh, which is our denomination's missions agency, has two uh, teams in England. One is a church planting team uh, that is assisting two small denominations, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales and the International Presbyterian Church. In those in London, most of them are reaching out to immigrants, uh, uh, chiefly uh, a Muslim population. They have a tremendously large immigrant population. In fact, we were on a, a train traveling to Birmingham and uh, were in a 
conversation, which doesn't happen very often with uh, uh, two English people on the train. And uh, <clears throat> he, said, he said this, and I've seen this elsewhere. He said that uh, in, in, about, in 2020, we're going to be in a very strange situation here in England. He said, we, uh, if things keep going the way they are, will be in the minority in our own country. In fact, in Birmingham, it has the largest concentration of Pakistani uh, uh, people of anywhere in the world outside of Pakistan. That's in Birmingham, England. Now, one thing to note, that in England, we don't call them missionaries. Uh, They would find that an offensive term, as you can imagine. Uh, We either talk about our folks over there as if they're pastors, as pastors on loan, or church workers, or something like that, which uh, they do not find offensive. Our pastors, those who go over, have been invited over there, and that's very important. To remember Now, in terms of training pastors over there, uh, because I don't want to give a picture as though there are no Christians or no Christian churches, there are some wonderfully bright spots, and there are those that are training for the ministry. Here's one of the challenges, though. Too often, what can happen is that uh, a young man uh, is called into the ministry And some want to send him to the States because we've got many fine institutions uh, in order to train them to become a pastor. Here's what happens far too often. They come to the United States and they like it here. And they see the churches here, most of them much larger than ones that they would serve back home. Most of them here where you can make a living and so on. And and there is more security. Some of them, even uh, if they weren't married, marry an American. And often they will even go back for a period of time, dutifully, to England, and then they see how difficult it is in plowing the fields there, and then they come back to the United States. That happened while we were in England. One of our uh, churches, one of the churches that we work with there in Chelmsford, a man from England candidated. They wanted him. They called him. He decided to take a call to here in the United States. And it breaks their hearts when that happens. And of course, over here, everyone loves a British accent or a Scottish accent. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, a wonderful thing. They always sound smarter than we do. They always sound like they know their theology better. And so they often are very attractive over here. Now, what, what was our purpose in uh, going to England? Uh, for some years, Connie and I have been for Mission to the World what is called a pastoral associate team. It's a husband and wife team that was recruited by Mission to the World and then trained. And then I, we have been the team that pastors our missionaries, our, our folks that are over there. So we, we go over once a year, we meet with them, counsel, uh, encourage, and so on. We're not employees of Mission to the World, and so we are safe people for them. And uh, this, this time, uh, by the way, uh, Ralph and Wendy are taking over that position.
for us after we've done it for a number of years, and I know they will do a, a wonderful job in that. So they were serving alongside of us this time as we transition to them being the pastoral associate team. Uh, we met with nine families and singles, uh, and so it was about 17 people plus children. Our purpose uh, was to meet with the various missionaries, but also we had a retreat with them to provide teaching of the Word of God and to encourage them in their work there, uh, which is often, as I mentioned, a very difficult work. We arrived in England uh, two weeks ago yesterday at uh, 9.30 in the morning. David and Barbara Cross, uh, who are the uh, team leaders for one of the teams, the church planting team, and uh, they will be Sam and Elizabeth's uh, uh, team leaders. Uh, they met us there. Uh, we stayed with them the first part and then for the extra week, uh, and they took wonderful care of us. Uh, so um, while it wasn't a vacation, you, you don't need to feel sorry for us in terms of our accommodations and so on. Uh, we were in a, uh, we said, the best be- bed and breakfast in England. Um, The next morning, uh, last Sunday, uh, no, it was, anyway, you you figure it out. It was the sun, two weeks ago now. Um, We got here last night, so if my uh, dates are a little bit uh, out of whack, there's a little bit of jet lag there. But uh, the next morning, I preached in uh, Cheltenham, and uh, it was a church that has 40 to 50 people on a good day. It's a tiny church. Probably the seating is about like our two alcoves. And there, was, uh, there were 10 or 12 of them gone that week uh, because, including the pastor, because they were on a mission trip, which I was most encouraged by, uh, that, that a, a small church in England is sending out short-term teams. And uh, they had gone to Romania, and uh, uh, they had a, a wonderful ministry there in Romania, encouraging the believers there and coming back home enthused about their own work. Their, their worship uh, service, uh, their singing was vigorous. Uh, they sang like many more people than were actually there. And uh, it was an encouraging time. And I, I had the, the privilege of preaching to that group that we have worshipped with uh, several times through the years. And so we've seen progress, though very slow, uh, but there has been progress. Uh, on Wednesday, we traveled to Baltry, where we and our team hosted a, a retreat. Our team had arrived on uh, uh, Tuesday after uh, uh, what can often happen, a trip with various delays. They sat on a train, for instance, uh, two and a half hours uh, 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 as they were toward the end of their trip. And, of course, you're very tired at that point, but uh, uh, someone up ahead on the tracks had uh, uh, committed suicide, and so they stop all the trains, and, and that's a fairly common thing to happen there in England. So they were quickly introduced to the, the types of things that can go on. On Wednesday, uh, uh, the rest of the team, we weren't with them yet, uh, had lunch with a pastor in the hall. Remember, I read to you a few moments ago, uh, and uh, they were very encouraged, although it's a difficult work. Uh, they were encouraged by this man and his faithfulness and uh, his uh, uh, loyalty to the Word of God and to being where God has called him. And 
I believe our team was encouraged, and I am certain that the pastor in Hull was encouraged by our team being there. Now, when I speak of the team, I'm speaking of Ralph and Wendy Kelly, uh, Rudy and Susan Harrington, Ed and Joyce Faber, and Brian Clifton. And the first part of their trip, what they did was they served our workers there during the retreat. They took care of the children while we had our meetings and so on, and and uh, when we met with each of these couples individually. And uh, it was a real opportunity to serve and to encourage those on the teams who had children. I very much appreciate our, our team and their willingness to do that as we met with them and prayed with each of them and talked to them about things that they're facing. The retreat lasted an, until uh, Friday at lunchtime. I spoke on the retreat uh, Pastor Kelly spoke. Uh, We had times of sharing and prayer uh, for each of the works and so on. The Kellys and us met with each family separately. Um, We were happy to have made all the contacts that we were able to. uh, And you will hear more from our team about what they did from that point on. Uh, But one of the things that I I believe is, uh, I think they will tell you as a highlight Uh, as I've spoken with Ralph more than the others, was as they went down to London uh, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, they met with our our Farsi-speaking church there. Now, several years ago, you remember a couple weeks ago, we had Chuck Phillips here. And he said, uh, and this was when we were taking him on by way of support, he said, my goal is to have at some point there to be a Farsi-speaking church they're in our area. And I have to be honest with you, I thought that was many years down, down the line because of uh, how difficult that kind of work is. And yet, uh, he has uh, identified a, a young man, uh, Iranian, uh, is that correct? <laughs> and uh, he is pastoring the church, and they are now meeting. It's brand new. And we can praise God for uh, the progress of that work. In fact, Ralph preached there through, uh, did you preach in Farsi or through an interpreter? Through an interpreter. Uh, he he uh, preached through an interpreter on Sunday, and they said that uh, he was the first English-speaking uh, person to, to uh, preach in that church, which is a, a wonderful privilege. And, and so we as a church have had uh, an investment in that, and uh, so in spite of these dim things and and the spiritual atmosphere in England, we've got to remember God is at work and He is doing things there uh, through uh, many people there. And you will hear more about uh, their opportunity and uh, uh, of uh, their interaction with the folks in that church and at the book table and so on in the future. Uh, I want to put all this in the context of what I've discovered, which can maybe help us learn how to pray for our missionaries in general. First of all, they are common people, our missionaries. <laughs> now, let me, let me explain. In James 5, verse 17, says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, We'll get to this later in the book of James that that we are going through. But why do you think 
James said that about Elijah and his prayer. I'm convinced it's because if he was teaching about prayer and he mentioned Elijah, that some, some would say, oh, well, he was a prophet. That doesn't apply to us, whatever God did through him, because he was a prophet. He was different. And James says he was a man just like us. And that's what we need to remember about our missionaries. They are men and women like us. Their children are like our children. No, you may say, no, they're special. They are special because they have extra faith. They are more mature. Some of them are. But not because they're missionaries. On the team over there, there's, for instance, a a retired judge and his wife from Chattanooga, Tennessee. There are several women who are homemakers. One woman who is now single that works with divorce recovery that had uh, suffered two divorces earlier in her life. And it would have been very easy, I'm convinced, for her to say, God can't do anything else with me. And yet now we see that even with that kind of a past, God is using her in another part of the world and ministering to others. Most who are on the teams aren't ordained as pastors. We simply can't put them in a different category. If we do, then we're minimizing the amazing thing that God does through ordinary people like us. Secondly, they have common trials. Uh, the same passage, James five seventeen. Uh, remember, he said Elijah was a man like us. He just declared that. And then he says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the uh, prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, We consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. What kinds of things do missionaries face? Well, whatever you face are the kinds of things they face. That's how you know what what to pray for. Of the folks we visited, some were concerned about aging parents. Uh... Some were concerned about their younger children, ongoing concern for their children, the schooling of their children. One's homeschooling five children aged 10 and under. Um, Some are concerned about their adult children. The pastor from Hull said, Pray for Ann and I that the pressure will not undermine our health nor dim our zeal for the Lord and His people. That's what a pastor in the States would say. One couple's considering retirement, where to live, when to retire. Others have ongoing relationship challenges, wondering, some wondering what their role on the team is. In England, uh, the bureaucracy and red tape are a way of life. Everything is an ordeal from getting a visa to paying taxes to driving, even getting a driver's license is, is a huge thing. You've got to take lessons, and most people fail at some, some of them multiple times before they get a license. Uh, although these trials are common, I'm convinced that on most mission fields, the spiritual warfare is more outward. Now, why spiritual warfare? Well, if you face challenges uh, here with your children or health or marriage, um, If you're on the field, 
here's, the, here's what, how I see Satan often tempting. And he says, uh, I mean, he would uh, indicate this to them and cause them to think, well, I wonder if we'd be having these problems if we were back in the States. I wonder if we'd have these marriage problems or these child problems if we were back in the States. And it's uh, uh, more difficult for them to deal with. And then there's the common calling, Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission. I'll not read that. Why are they there? Well, they're in England because they've taken seriously the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world. Am I saying that you have to go overseas? Um, I hope by now you know me better than that. I've made that clear many, many times. Some of you should because you're called to it. Some of you should go short term because you're called to it. But not all. And so what I see in these folks is one more common trait. They have an uncommon willingness to be used by God. I told you about the retired judge, uh, and his wife's name is Sylvia. We asked, well, how's your family feel about this? And she said, well, our, our children have some reservations, but I told them this. As long as our health stays, we will stay. She said, I can go to heaven from England as easily as I can from Georgia. And I thought, what a great attitude. What a great way to put it. And isn't that the truth? And so they have uncommonly been willing to be used by God. So back to our partnership, prayer, giving. I was struck again, what a burden being on support can be for so many. World missions, some of you should consider a short-term trip. We have a traveling church. What if you got to the end of your life and you had taken all of these trips for yourselves and never once considered taking one for God? Or even integrating something on your trip. Meeting with a missionary over there, taking them out to dinner just to encourage them. Those are things that we can do. We have gotten to see some sights in England through the years, but Connie and I have agreed that the best part about these trips is the people, the missionaries. And so I want to challenge you to pray about that. There's nothing wrong with vacation trips, but ask God that if even once in a while He would have you do one for Him or include His work on your trip. In 1904 in Wales, there was a great revival that affected not only Great Britain, but visitors from France and Turkey and the U.S., to name a few. Welsh communities throughout the world were touched. It was a visitation from God. And that's what it will take in Hull and Cheltenham and in London. But ordinarily, God uses His people and the preaching of His Word when He visits them. In Cambridge, on one of our trips, we saw the William Carey Chapel. Carey went to India in 1793. At that time, there were no organized missionary societies. And so you see, here was England at that point sending out some of the first missionaries, as we think in those terms. 
God laid Indy on his heart. At a commissioning service for Carrie and his colleague, one of Carrie's friends exclaimed this, There is a gold mine in India, but it seems almost as deep as the center of the earth. To which Carrie replied, I will venture down, but remember, you must hold the ropes. And that's what our job is. We are holding the ropes for those in other fields through partnership. And how do we partner? Well, one way is giving. Faith, mission, giving. We need you to seek God's provision. Last year we began faith, mission, giving here at St. Andrews. Some some said, well, it's not a good year to because the economy is bad. And we said, God has led us to do it. We we believe we should go ahead by faith and, and do so. And you promised $176,785 by faith over and above your tithes. And God, through you, provided to within $85 of that. It's amazing. In a bad economy, imagine that. And I believe God was just saying, my economy is not dictated by that in the U.S. or anywhere in this world. This year, God spoke uh, through you, and uh, you have promised 160000 just a little bit over that. And I would say this, even if you didn't put in a card, I would encourage you to hold the ropes by asking God to provide for you so that you can provide in faith mission giving. And that's all, that's all that is. It's saying, God, as you provide to me, I will pass it on. And he will do that. We heard some wonderful stories this last year. I think he wants to provide uh, through our church for more missionaries, not less this year. And I, I believe that by faith, he may do that. And then there, as I said, another way to partner is to go. I'm still praying that God will send many of you on short-term and some of you on career. Now, I have prayed that in churches that I have served. And that includes for the good ones. I don't want to lose them. I'd rather keep them here. But God called them elsewhere, and that's what we pray for. And that includes my own daughter and her husband. And I knew in praying for that, it might include one or more of my children. And yet, I believe that's what he calls us to do. And I am praying for our congregation in that way. And then pray for the, for instance, the pastor in Hall. He wrote this in his letter. There is a possibility that the good ones may be able to come and help in the work for a short time at least. And I would value prayer that if it is the Lord's will, he would open that door speedily. We should pray for that. We are holding the ropes in many ways for those folks who are there in England. May God enable us to grow in our faith as we hold the ropes and as we give and go and pray. Let's bow together.